Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Fiona's R&D Tax Credit Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clements. We're here today with Raheem Walji, Director of R&D Tax Incentives at XBS. Raheem, always great to have you back. Great to be here. Today, we're going to look at an R&D tax credit claim that went, one can say, horribly wrong. It's a, a cautionary tale, so to speak. We're also going to offer some strategies to help companies in similar situations avoid the same mistakes. This is episode one of our Cautionary Tales series, so case in point, we have a lot of instances to choose from. Today's Cautionary Tale comes from Seamer Milling Company. Let's let's talk about Seamer for a second here. What does this company do, Raheem? So they are a family-owned business in the business of selling wheat flour, so they actually mill flour, and they've been in business since the 1950s. And I believe they owned and operated two mills during the early 2010, so 2011, 2012, somewhere around that time period. And they had hired an accounting firm to actually prepare the research credit that we're going to talk about um, going all the way back to 2004. Got it. So I'm just curious, what kind of activities did they perform to claim the credit? First off, you know, they conducted interviews, gathered some documents, and then were claiming these credits under Section 41 as I mentioned, you know, as early as 2004, but the years at issue were 2011 and 2012. So in terms of what they actually claimed for this particular period, there were four primary research projects. One of them was a flower heat treatment project. There was a pulse wave project, and there was a wheat hybrids project, and that's third. And then the fourth was an ozone project. So I can go into each one real quick if you if you want. Yeah, I would love that. I, I'm a baker, so this is very interesting to me. Excellent. So for the flower heat treat project, they were developing different processes to produce cake flour without using chlorine, as wheat flour is commonly chlorinated. And it was low microorganisms and low bacteria flour without using chemicals, essentially. So all natural replacements for chemically modified starches. And one of the methods included heating flour for different lengths of time and with different methods to test the composition, characteristics, and amount of bacteria in the project. Right? So that's one of their projects. The next one was the pulse wave project. So here in the pulse wave project, they were determining whether they could increase the speed of the pulse wave machine that operated and whether it would affect processing different materials within that machine, right? So essentially trying to see if they could make the process a little bit more efficient was the goal of that one. The third project, the wheat hybrids project, they were testing new varieties of wheat to determine whether they could be substituted in for current products or used in new products, right? So essentially kind of changing up those product formulas. And then the ozone project, they introduced ozone in various stages of the milling process to produce a low microorganism flour. And they took samples of the wheat at various stages to test and compare it to untreated grain. So, you know, four four kind of interesting projects that this milling company undertook. Wow, absolutely. So what kind of projects did they identify for tax year ending May 31st, 2012? So in 2012, a little bit different. The heat treat project was still ongoing. The pulse wave project was still ongoing as well. And they were actually looking at changing moisture level in the, the finished flower, right? They were trying to look at different versions and different ways of again, adjusting this pulse wave machine. There was a new one called the Littleford Day Project, 
where they're working on a system to incorporate into the existing milling facilities to essentially toast wheat and produce other toasted products. So this included somewhat of, of some heat treating again using different times and temperatures. And then in terms of the results, they did some compositional analyses of the results. And then the whole wheat flour project, kind of an option of the hybrids project, but a little bit different. They were attempting to produce an ultra-fine wheat flour by using different types of machinery. And then there was a hydration project. So, you know, how you think about flour itself, there's there's moisture that, that gets involved and that can impact the quality of that flour. So finding a way to maintain consistent levels of moisture. And again, kind of an offshoot of the, the ozone project. I don't know about you, Raheem, but this episode has gotten me pretty hungry thinking about all these wheat products. I'm like, ooh, some bread, a muffin, mm, delicious. But let's get down to, to the numbers here. How much was CMAR claiming in research credits? Sure. They were claiming a little bit over 120000 in the first year and about 116000 or so in that second year that was at issue. Okay, gotcha. And here's the big boom. The IRS disallowed the credit. What happened here? So, you know, the interesting thing here is the IRS tax authorities, they disallowed the credits in their entirety on the grounds that the company had not proven its expenses to qualify for the credit. So essentially the tax court said Seamer Milling failed to establish any of its projects met the four-part test that's in Section 41 of the Internal Revenue Code. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. And so I'm, I'm curious a little bit about these, the four-part tests, like the flower heat treatment project, the pulse wave, the weed hybrids, and the ozone. Can you just go into a little bit more detail about those? Sure. So for the flower heat treatment project, the court said that Seamer didn't prove that the activities satisfied the process of experimentation, right? That's the third prong of the test, right? So there's new product or new or improved product process formula, right, et cetera, an elimination of uncertainty a process of experimentation, and it has to be technological in nature. So here they're saying that third prong of the test, the process of experimentation, even though they set out to develop new products with the heat treatment facility, they weren't clear about how it set out to do that and whether that process was truly experimentation in nature. For the Pulse Wave project, the court said that Seymour Milling failed to prove that the activities satisfied the 174 test, right? So there's an R&E deduction under 174 and there's an R&D credit under Section 41. And so there's some overlap in these expenses and, and rules. So in Pulse Wave, they were saying they, the company failed to prove the activity satisfied a 174 test, which is that uncertainty piece of the prong. And they didn't show that they were uncertain about the speed at which the Pulse Wave machine could run. So, for example... The company wanted to run the machine at 5,000 revolutions per minute or RPMs, but it had mechanical problems if it went faster than 3,600 RPMs. And so 
the court said that these activities are more aligned with you know mechanical maintenance rather than experimentation or, or uncertainty about you know how this this machine could operate or how it could impact the product. And so they failed to establish it was technological in nature because again they said it was kind of maintenance, so there really wasn't those principles of engineering or, or physical or biological sciences. And so there therefore was no experimentation. The wheat hybrids and the ozone a little bit simpler but similar issues. For the wheat hybrids, they didn't clarify what the business component was. They were just seeing what was available from different wheat breeders and growers, you know, just kind of surveying what was out there. They didn't really specify like what product they were trying to develop or, or what process they were improving or anything like that. And then on the ozone, same thing with the process of experimentation. That was the same concern for the ozone project. They didn't have a demonstrated process of experimentation that they were using to evaluate this project. So going back to the legal premise of this, how did the, the court determine all of this? So the court said that Seamer did a good job in like designing to evaluate alternatives, you know, for example, the ozone or the milling process, but they, they didn't actually put forth like theories that they were testing or, or how they went about, you know, taking test results and making changes and tweaking the process and updating it. So for those two, the ozone and the milling process, they didn't really you know, test the theory. They're like, yeah, we, we, we did different things, but there was really no objective that they were going towards, right? For some of the other projects, the court said that they didn't satisfy technological in nature or the experimentation. It said steps in a process, like first we do A, then we do B, then we do C, but it didn't explain the scientific nature of them. And so because of those, you know, kind of general reasons for those specific projects, the court said these credits are, are denied. I feel like there's a lot to learn from Seymour Milling Co. What, what are some of these highlights, Reem? Sure. I think one of the things that companies claiming the R&D credit kind of forget is IRS agents and authorities, they're not experts in a business or an industry, if you will. And so the tax authorities and the tax court, you know, they expect a taxpayer to substantiate the research credit. You can't wait for the IRS to, to understand like, oh, this is how the milling process works. Like, of course, we're doing this testing. And of course, we have a process of experimentation. You can't leave it to them to infer that everything's right and everything is, is qualified, if you will. So th- I think that's one of the big pieces there. Absolutely. So l- let's talk about this four-part test. How should companies look at that? I'll start with repeating what I said again. You know, the IRS doesn't know your business. They don't necessarily know your industry. For the most part, they may try to put an agent on your review that knows a little bit more. But for the most part, that's not their specialty. Mm. And they definitely don't know it as well as you know your company, right? Next, the burden is on the taxpayer to show that you've met the test. The burden is not on the tax authority to say you haven't met it. We've got to show that you've, you've met that test, right? And explain the business content, whether that's a product or a process, right? And explaining what were the uncertainties at the outset of the project? What were you trying to achieve? And then what steps did you take so, you know, I think one of the things I, examples I like to use for a process of experimentation is you can't just throw something against the wall to see if it sticks, right? You have to sort of be testing a theory. And so I use this warden in a jail cell type analogy where if you have this ring of keys, right, pre, pre-technology age, you've got this <laughs> ring of keys and there's a prison break and you've got to get through this gate. If you just test one key after another key after another key, you're not going to get that gate open. But if your objective is I want to open this gate, so I put in the first key, this key is too small. I removed all keys that are smaller because they won't fit in this and it won't matter. It won't turn the gears. Done. I put this key in. This key is too big. Let me get rid of all the bigger keys because it doesn't matter. It won't fit in the lock. So you're going through the systematic trial and error process, right? Again, it's still trial and error, but there's a systematic approach involved. 
And so I think explaining those types of things to, to the tax authorities is really important to how you used it to resolve the uncertainty of quote unquote, getting through the gate, right? And then the last piece is it's gotta be technological in nature, right? When I was doing some of the descriptions of these projects, there were some very technical terms that I was referencing, yet here the court denied it because yeah, these terms are technical, but what does it really mean for the four part test, right? So I think just because you said we did a test, that's not enough to show what that test really means, right? So hopefully that, that explains a little bit more about the four-part test and how the court interpreted it. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you've got the, the keys to the R&D tax credit claim right in your pocket. You just got to know which one's going to open the door. Exactly. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp so one criticism that the court stated was that the company listed steps what should seamer have done to justify those steps yeah so you you can't just list out those steps right otherwise you could just say we followed the scientific method right we developed a hypothesis we tested it we had some results we changed it we came to our conclusion right you have to actually demonstrate how there was a process of experimentation taking place, right? So we did this step because it will tell us what the highest temperature is that this wheat can withstand without getting damaged. So we did Mm -hmm. this. Once we figured that out, we then figured out, is there additional damage that's incurred if we heat treat at a lower temperature, but for too long? You see the difference in just saying we heat treated. You have to say how that process, how changing the time, how changing the temperature actually constitute an experiment and what what decisions you made off of those results as opposed to just saying we had test results, right? So that explanation being more erring on the side of including more instead of including less. In this case, the company gave really nominal, very short descriptions of what was happening. And I think if they had gone to a little bit more length to explain how these different steps really truly affected their process, I think you, you would have seen likely a different outcome. Absolutely. It's a big buzz thing of like, know your why kind of theory that I think should be applied. So Seymour also farmed out documentation to traditional consultants. How did that hurt the process? Sure. So I think it's difficult sometimes for companies to know about all these different credits and all these different challenges, right? So you rely on consultants to to help you navigate that process. And so sometimes if the consultants aren't well-versed in the different requirements or the different sticking points, if you will, that the IRS and different agents have. And sometimes the consultants may not have industry knowledge about your business and what you're doing, right? 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's difficult for them to really drive that cart in the right direction, if you will. So I think it hurt the process a little bit because maybe those consultants didn't know enough about the business. And because of that process, and, and maybe they didn't know enough about the IRS's review process and, and what they really focus on and what they do. So I think that that piece is, is important. So I think sometimes when you get a consultant, you think they're going to know everything and they're not, and you can kind of give up control of the process. I think in this type of case, you know your business better than anyone. You should make sure that it's getting documented in a way that reflects the complexity of your business as well. And so that's something that we do differently here at, at Cross Border Solutions, right? It's, we're a technology company. We leverage tools to document the process better, to highlight the expenses better, to make it easier on the subject matter experts within a company, to explain what they do to someone who understands their industry, right? We, we not only have tax experts, but we have industry experts, engineering experts, software experts, because that's what you need to be able to do is, is talk that language with them to really explore the depth and confusion sometimes that occurs with these very technical industries. I'm curious if you think that technology would have changed the trajectory of this case. I think it would have. I think it would have made it easier to document the processes. And I think Seymour Milling Company could have had more opportunities to save contemporaneous documentation. But I think at the end of the day, they made the assumption that the way they explained it was good enough. Instead of saying, my job when I'm doing this R&D credit, unfortunately, has to be I need to write it like I'm educating someone who doesn't know about my company and why all of these steps are necessary and how this is important to developing a new flower product, right? It's not just as easy as, as grinding it and putting it into a bag. There's so much more that has to happen. So I think technology could have definitely helped with that. But I think they also needed some, some consultants that could have guided them in a little bit of a um, better direction in terms of how to do that. So we have gotten a very comprehensive view of Seamer Milling Company. What is your takeaway lesson here, Raheem? Sure. I think the takeaway is first and foremost, the company qualified for the credit, right? It wasn't that the the business components weren't there. It wasn't that they were they weren't doing all of this work. The hurdle that they failed to overcome was that they didn't document or demonstrate how they qualified well enough. And I think this goes to show that a lot of companies, I think if you were to listen to the first half of our conversation, you'd be like, man, if this technical company doing all these things didn't qualify, then mine doesn't. And that's that's the exact opposite of what the takeaway should be. So many companies think it's hard to qualify, but they really do qualify. And in this case, the milling company knew they qualified. But the approach that they took, the document, and the efforts that they made were sort of unfortunately in the wrong areas. And so... I'm sure they spent a lot of time and a lot of resources to do this. I you know, just wish they could have gotten a little bit better guidance in a different direction. And so I think that's the takeaway. They qualify. Documentation is important. Demonstrate and explain as best as you can in those narratives to make sure that you're not assuming that the person who's going to read that report knows every part of your business, right? And that four-part test, you have to apply it to the things that you're doing. Because if you're going to spend all this money on experimentation, innovation, take that little extra step and, and document it as well so you can get these credits that are out there for companies to keep growing and keep investing. Interesting takeaway, a company that refines wheat products forgot to refine their documentation. Oops. <laughs> a global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. 
So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Raheem, today. Great insight on this company and kind of where they slipped up and how other companies can learn from their mistakes. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple or Spotify. That's Fiona's R&D Tax Credit Podcast, and we'll fill you in on the R&D tax credits in every episode. I'm your host, Christy Clements. This podcast was engineered by Matthew Pinello. Marilyn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. For CPE credits, make sure to email thefionashow at xbs.ai. That's thefionashow at xbs.ai. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and catch you next time.